So welcome everybody. Good morning. My name is Mac. I'm a content strategist at OP Labs. This is the 12th episode of OP Radio where we talk about anything and everything related to optimism. And we've got another great episode for you here today. But before I allow the guest of honor to introduce himself, I'd like to allow my colleague Joanna to introduce herself. Hey, Joanna, how you doing? Doing great. Yeah. So thanks for having me on the on the episode again. I feel like we need to do a a year in review, <laughs> Mac, for the OP Radio. It's come a long way, and yeah, just really great content. Thank you for all your great work. Absolutely, um, that's so, not a bad idea. We we should have thought yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all the guests we had on the on the space. I know we're already <laughs> twelve favorites. deep. We're already twelve deep, and it keeps going. <laughs> yeah, happy to do a quick intro. Uh, so I am the BD lead for NFT and DAO at Optimism. I previously have a few other gigs in the in crypto, all related to NFT. The last one being the leadership a leadership role with Coinbase NFT, helping with the Coinbase NFT marketplace launch. So yeah, being you know really just working with a lot of key partners within the ecosystem, OP ecosystem. And very excited to be able to, you know, bring one of the most important ones nearer to the audience today. Excited about the content. You know, Dennis is a great speaker. Great to have him. There you go. I think that's your cue, Dennis. Do you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Big fan of Optimism, obviously, the community, you know, the technology you guys have been building. I know a lot of people on the team for a long time. Excited to chat about some backstories there. And yeah, we're, we're really excited to the early adopters of L2 and namely Optimism. And we're going to talk about that. And yeah, I mean, my name is Dennis Nazarov. You may have seen my animated profile picture on Twitter. We can also talk about how that works. Yeah, and I'm the, the founder and CEO of Mirror. Mirror is a Web3 native publishing platform. It feels kind of like a blog, but it's very different. And we'll talk about all of that. But to use Mirror, you log in with a wallet. It's compatible with ENS. When you publish something, all that content lives on chain. So everything is completely decentralized. And we let our users tell stories, but also embed ways to make content collectible. The co- collectability lives on L2. Our editor natively understands NFTs, so you can embed NFTs as media. You can also do NFT drops. And that's basically the shape of the product. And we're going to get into all of that today. But yeah, really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you. And that was a great sort of intro and overview of Mirror. I want to I want to circle back real quick to that animated PFP, because now that you mention it, I have seen your PFP before and I didn't and, and it's animated. I didn't know you could do that. How, how did you how did you manage? So that? there was a, a time long ago on Twitter where when you set up your profile, they did support animated GIFs as a media and that has since been removed for, for like over five years or, or, or seven years. And actually, Elon Musk just was tweeting that they're going to support GIFs. I don't know if that's going to be real, but I was a little worried about this high status GIF. Basically, I can never change my PFP because if I do, it won't be animated. So it's kind of become my brand is a, a fun like 90s smiley face box. So you, you basically got grandfathered in. Yeah. To the GIF PFP. Is that what yeah, I mean? And, and, That's and incredible. That's like what I'm known for and I can't change it, but it's, I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> you know, in a way it's good because, you know, I recognize people on Twitter by their PFP as much by their PFP as by their name. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be confusing when people change their picture. 
Right. And sometimes when I meet people in, in, the, in real life, I'm like, I'm the spinning cube with a smiley face. And they're like, oh, I know you. I follow you. <laughs> it does have a great, as you said, 90s aesthetic to it. The smiley faces were big, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I you know the, the retro vibe, I think, I think it's very Web3. You know, a lot of projects take on this kind of like 90s aesthetic. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, why is this the thing? Is it, is it just nostalgia? And I think beyond that, it's, it was a, a, you know, a time when just the internet was a bit, a bit more freer, a bit more wild, a bit more creative. And, you know, people, you know, people made their own websites. There were things like GeoCities where you could, you know, just, you know, play with HTML, play, play with CSS. Not like today where, you know, you're on your phone, you, 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 you're kind of constrained by the Twitter feed, the Instagram feed, and there's not a lot of customization. So I think like the retro vibe goes towards this like era of customization and, it, you know, Web3, because you, there's a lot more ownership we're, we're reimagining from scratch you know what platforms can be what platforms can look like i think people are saying well you know apps don't need to look like the past 10 years of these big corporate you know mobile apps social apps we can we can do whatever we want so anyway i think there's it, it fits in with that ethos and you know excited to talk more about that too absolutely i love that yeah i remember you know the same era and it was it was just like you said it was like the internet was very weird and very creative and you, you never quite knew what you were going to find. Do you remember like Angel Fire? Absolutely. I think was like a, yeah, like that era. And then, and then these, you know, the, the next, you know, phase of the internet, I guess, was, as you said, these sort of, this term gets used a lot, but I think it's applicable here. These walled gardens mm-hmm. of these big web 2.0 giants and the internet got, you know, kind of boring and stale in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of the, I think the, the rise of web, web three and, you know, crypto, I think it's, there's this very interesting, you know, the whole decentralization narrative, you know, I, and there's like kind of like two kind of like, like, like philosophical tracks. I think there's one, there's this like political track of, you know, like, like political decentralization. Like we want to be in control of our, of our money. We want neutrality from corporate control. It's about, you know, more of this like libertarian political narrative. I think that's like where a lot of, you know, people, early believers in Bitcoin about a, a fixed supply currency. That's how they were approaching the technology and the philosophy behind it. But I think what's been amazing in the, in the Web3 narrative about building a new internet is it's more of this like cultural dimension of, you know, a new frontier trying to reimagine, you know, what does the next version of the web look like where the services we use and the content we create isn't, you know, mediated by, corporations and their servers and kind of like the defaults their design teams, product teams have decided upon, but we can create using open protocols infrastructure. That's as powerful to publish, to, to power media applications, to power how we share content, also to reimagine how payments rails work, how, you know, how kind of commerce around creativity works. So I think kind of where Mir is coming from is, and, you know, I've been in the space for a long time. I can talk about my background, my background, previous crypto projects I worked on, but we're coming at it from this, this cultural lens. If you look at something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, not just as a, a financial ledger, but more abstractly as a database. And if you look at wallets as, you know, not like payments addresses, but more as a, as identity systems that can be, you know, can be very social. You know, if you map ENS, they could look like social media handles. They could look something like email identifiers. And I think the, the, the trajectory there and the trajectory of Web3 is we can actually begin to reimagine, you know, the applications we love, 
building very similar things to, to social media, to publishing tools, to, to content platforms, to ways to share creativity, ways for fans to follow, you know, the, the creators they love, build them under completely new terms where, again, mediated by protocols, kind of guarantees, you know, the, you know, some people have called it, you know, can't be evil. These kind of other, others have called it around credible neutrality that, that basically, if we have many options of platforms to use, the, the kind of the Web3 ones, they actually have, you know, guarantees and promises built into the architecture itself. And like, you know, I think like the Web2 equivalent is like, you know, the terms of service, right? And the terms of service is this kind of, you know, awful thing. No one ever reads them. They're always changing. And basically that, you know, the, the story is like the example of people use is, you know, Google's motto, don't be evil. They kind of mm-hmm. get to trust them to maintain integrity and live up to that, you know, over the decades that they exist. And, you know, the story was everyone started with good intentions, but as, as they become, become bigger, they become driven by the bottom line. They, they change the rules and they, they no longer live up to the promise. And, you know, the consequences have been, you know, dire for both, you know, whether it's developers building on top of their platforms to creators, you know, investing on building a social following and knowing that actually this isn't your audience. You don't know the relationship with them. The, the really exciting thing is about Web3 is we can define the guarantees of using services and tools, you know, into the code itself, into the protocols and make, make the, those guarantees be enforced by Ethereum where, where they can be changed. So I think as a, as a user, as a creator, when you make a choice of what tool to use in the future, again, you know, it's not going to change the rules on you. And we kind of the genesis of the mirror was exploring ideas around that, you know, can we build really easy to use products, beautiful products that can provide a, a kind of a cultural refuge for people that are, you know, fed up with how Web2 platforms work, where they want to try something new. I think we can also talk about, you know, NFTs as, a, as this really new expressive medium, you know, there's Web3 is unlocking kind of you know, new cultural behaviors and you you need new spaces to, you know, experiment, to make new things. And I think it's really exciting to see these platforms emerging. Anyway, that was a lot. I'll, I'll pause there. A hundred percent, man. That was fantastic. And yeah, I'm incredibly hopeful and optimistic for this new Web3 creator economy. I've been having a lot of conversations about this recently and you know, I think it could be, I could, it could be the next kind of, you know, big thing in crypto. At least I'm hopeful that it is. I want to circle back to something you, you said. You said a lot of interesting stuff there, but one of the things you were talking about was how, you know, it, it's interesting because you founded a Web three publishing platform, and so that obviously has to do with writing. And the interesting thing with writing and with language is that, you know, I learned when I got my my English literature degree that language ac- actually shapes your view of the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So y- your your worldview is sort of defined and dictated by your ability to to express it. And I think there's a, a big parallel there with technology because you could you could extend that and say your worldview or your your sort of perspective is also constrained by the technology that you're using. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was a, a big insight into Mirrors choosing to focus on publishing. The, the way we kind of approached things with this insight that, you know, big ideas that, you know, change the world, that catalyze movements, that inspire people to come together and, and start on something, it usually begins with, you know, the idea itself, usually in the, in the format of a story. And I think like, you know, in crypto and Web3, there's actually really amazing examples of these, you know, founding documents. You know, there's the Bitcoin white paper, you know, people always quote it, always cite it. You know, I know many people that actually 
you know, that are, you know, in, in crypto in, in the space full time, kind of de- devoting their lives to, they have like the Bitcoin white paper hanging on their wall. So it just goes to show that, you know, this like gen- Genesis document painted a vision for the future. It is something that can be shared socially and, you know, kind of communities can, can form around it. You know, similar with the Ethereum pipe, well, white paper, Vitalik not only described the, you know, a technical implementation, a proposal for a technical implementation, but also a vision for, you know, how the world can work for mediated by smart contracts, imagining new, new applications. I think there was this, this kind of cypherpunk story of, you know, how your, you know, like your, your, your smart lock and like your, your apartment rent can be paid to be a smart contract. If like taxis are enabled by this like autonomous payment system, where it could be delivering packages while it can be your ride and like all this can be automated. Like it was just like an amazing vision for, you know, a new kind of social economic system mediated by this kind of singleton world computer inspired people. So it was just, yeah, I wonder if we're almost living through one of these, you know, there, there've been these periods in history and oddly enough, or maybe not oddly enough, they were connected to, to writing and story. And I'm thinking about like the invention of the printing press and then the printing of the King James Bible and then the constitution of the United States. These were sort of like these foundational documents, similar to what you're describing. And as you said, the sort of crypto equivalent would be the Bitcoin white paper. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that, that, that you kind of, you know, ideas, you know, in many ways led to, you know, like these social revolutions. And I think it's, it's very similar. You know, I think the, you can, you can argue like the, the biggest accomplishment of, you know, crypto and Web3 was just telling a story that, you know, for a vision that the world can be different. You know, we, I think we've made a lot of progress of implementing that, but there's still so, so much to go. But there's absolutely been achievement, achievement of creating an ecosystem of, you know, of true believers in the space. And again, I think without these documents, it would have been impossible. And even, you know, I think, you know, going back to like 2017, like, you know, the, like, you know, ICO phase, like what were the what was like the 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 content of ICO, of like the, the you know ICO mania? It was it was white papers, right? It was ideas for the future described in a document. Obviously, you know it was taken too far, but I think it goes to show that ideas can inspire people. They can bring them together. You know, even even you know venture capital. Even talking about that, it's based on the idea of a, of a pitch deck, right? And what is a pitch deck? It's a, a founder sharing a vision for the future. And, you know, asking someone to, to believe in their idea and to, to back it with capital. I think there's also, I think it's, it's not a surprise that, you know, white papers went hand in hand with, with capital formation in the crypto era. You know, even the, you know, Ethereum raised money from the community. It's, it's really powerful. So one of the insights with Mirror is let's build a tool that lets people tell stories, uh, in a, in a really simple way, but let's, let's build it on top of this new, this new Web3 stack. So the way Mirror works is, um, Use this wallets for for identity. So instead of you know a company having to give you a username, you just use your Ethereum wallet, right? It's interoperable with Ethereum identity. Anyone with an Ethereum wallet can connect their wallet to Mirror and start publishing something. The next thing is that we're compatible with ENS out of the gate. So in order, you don't create a new username on Mirror. You it's interoperable with your existing uh, ENS username. So we talk about how you know. If you, you have an ENS name and you don't know what to do with it, the, one of the easiest things you can do is just set up your, your mirror blog by connecting your wallet and publishing something. And, and then the next step is... And just so people know, if, if they're not familiar with what an ENS is, it's an Ethereum name service. And it's basically like a human readable version of your Ethereum address. Right. It's, it's domain names instead of living within the DNS system, which is, you know, govern, governed by a, by a federation and, you know, centralized in many ways is, 
that idea has been reimagined as, again, a, a program on Ethereum, so like a, a neutral naming system. And then what's been really cool about it is it's, it's basically integrated into every uh, application in the Ethereum ecosystem. So your name becomes portable. So I think it goes back to just, I think one of the most amazing projects in the ecosystem is, again, it's just a, it's this proof point that even like, you know, in Web2, you need, a, you need an Instagram account, you need a Twitter account. You need an email. You have like, you know, a new account for every service. In Web3, we've already broken down wall gardens because identity and this kind of sign-in is interoperable through wallets and, th- and through ENS. So that's kind of the, the first step of, of Mirror. And, and yeah, then, then when you go to author a post, you know, the Mirror publishing experience looks, from a user experience perspective, a lot like using Medium or Substack. You know, we have a, a really nice editor. We've spent a lot of time in kind of design and aesthetics. But when you hit publish, there's a few kind of profound things happening under the hood. So your your post is actually cryptographically signed using your your Ethereum identity. So uh, we also believe that one of the exciting things about crypto is this kind of notion of attribution and provenance that when you use Twitter, you actually trust the Twitter servers and the Twitter engineers to maintain the integrity of your content. Like a malicious engineer could go you know, delete your tweets, modify your tweets, and nobody could prove that that happened but when you use mirror and just you know the way blockchain applications work is everything requires a, a digital signature so that creates a, a really strong integrity knowing that you know only the person that owns this wallet that owns this private key only they could have authored that con- content so that's this big kind of integrity and and, and security of uh, a property but also the content itself when you publish it on mirror it doesn't go into the company, the Mirror company, the company behind Mirror, it doesn't go into our database, but it actually goes on the blockchain. And we use technologies like, like Arweave and IPFS to store your content in a decentralized way. So I think the big idea there is when you use Mirror, it feels like you're interacting with something that looks like just a, a regular you know, internet application, web application, but actually under the hood, all the content is written, written to a protocol. So what that means is once the data is stored on Arweave, uh, it lives on Arweave forever. And, you know, the mirror company, the mirror client is the, is the application you use to interact with the mirror protocol. That's what our, what our, what our team builds. That could be, you know, our website could be shut down. You know, our company could go out of business or could be shut down by the government, but your data always lives on the protocol, always lives on chain. So that it's again, these guarantees that Unlike in Web2, when you, you put your data into a walled garden, into a silo, uh, and you, again, you, you are trusting this company to behave, to be good, in, you know, to, to continue running these services. With the way Mirror works, because Mirror is a, is a, is a publishing protocol, we don't need to, you don't need to trust our company to uh, maintain these guarantees. They are automatically enforced by the protocol. So once your data is on chain, it will live there forever. And it's always proven to be authored by you. You can always access it like, you know, like, for example, if you wanted to migrate off Gmail, right, you have to manually export all your content. Like there's no exporting content when using on Mirror because because it lives on chain. So I think there's, there's, there's these really powerful kind of ownership and security guarantees. And uh, I'll pause there if you want to ask any questions. And also excited to tell you about how we integrate with some of the economic tools available possible by Ethereum, because I think the other side of Mirror is not just this decentralized publishing, but also once you build on top of wallets and, and on top of the economic rails of Ethereum, these really powerful ways to monetize, to, to fund creative work, to use NFTs open up. And that's kind of the, the second half of Mirror is the economic layer.
Yeah. And, and uh, okay, this is, this is so fascinating. So before we get into those sort of specifics and the, and the economics there, I, I have a question that um, I thought of while you were talking about that. And that is that, have you found it, I don't know if this is your first company, you know, and may, so this might be hard to, to answer, but, and maybe you don't have experience in the, in the other publishing model, but I would imagine it's harder to build these. I know for us at OP Labs, it's definitely harder to build things in a decentralized way, right? So you're, you have to have sort of a big why for why you're doing it, because you are in a sense, you know, blazing new ground. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit of, you know, what is it like building in this space in a way, you know, doing, doing things that either nobody's done before or very few people have? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question. I, I, th- I think it's, it's very interesting. I've kind of been full-time in, in Web3 since 23, 2014. 2013, 2014, um, had a, a, a previous startup called Media Chain. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but it was some similar ideas trying to reimagine how blockchain technology could be applied to, you know, media applications, creator applications to solve the attribution problem. Like we were trying to see if, you know, can we build something like a universal media library? And this was actually before Ethereum existed. There was only Bitcoin. The kind of the ecosystem view at the time was, you know, you, you would build everything on top of Bitcoin. And obviously, you know, that didn't play out because Bitcoin was so inflexible in terms of the technology. But the idea was, you know, what, what I was saying earlier, if you just think of Bitcoin as more of an abstract database that tracks, you know, the ownership of digital assets, what if uh, we could repurpose it to not just track, you know, a financial asset, but, you know, the other kinds of digital assets, which is like, you know, creativity on the internet, you know, Everyone, uh, more and more content is produced every day, but it happens to live in these walled gardens. We kind of like borrow identities from these platforms. What if the way we author creativity looked like kind of, you know, like, like, like creating a token or having a custody over a token, you know, so y- your creativity would be authored by your wallet and you know, its existence the, the the content itself would always know who made it within this cryptographic system. And I think basically the the thing that really solved that, which you know ha- happened years after we started this project, was first the launch of Ethereum with a much more expressive kind of computing environment enabling all kinds of smart contracts. But it was really NFTs. You know, NFTs was these kind of first class digital assets, purposefully built to represent media. And, you know, a creator could, you know, basically create a token, reference some a media file, but the fact that they created it was always recorded on chain. And then every time that NFT was used in a different context, you knew the provenance history of who made it. And you knew the author's not just social identity, you know, if the wallet, you know, if, you know, Mac.eth is your artist's kind of handle on ENS, but also Mac.eth is a, 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 a destination you could pay. And I think this was kind of the, the big aha moment for me and my team at that time is that this is extremely profound. You know, that if creative works could always know who their author is on the internet, and if creative works also knew how to pay that author, this would fundamentally reinvent, you know, how we, you know, sh- share content, how you become a fan of content and, and how you monetize content, how you have kind of an economic relationship between a, a fan and an artist. And I think we've seen slowly that evolve, you know, since, you know, NFTs were a thing, you know, in, I think, early 2017, kind of in the CryptoKitties era. But over the past two years, especially, you know, 2021, 2022, when NFTs really took off and we saw this completely new wave of artists and creators enter the space and, and show it, it showed that, 
the the audience who this is for is not you know with Bitcoin it's not just um, you know kind of politically minded you know libertarian minded people interested in financial sovereignty you know then like the next narrative was you know DeFi people interested in you know reimagining lending you know some obviously incredible financial innovation with projects like you know MakerDAO Compound you know stable coins was all really really exciting but still very limited to financial applications I think NFTs were so exciting because basically all media all culture i think there was a there was now a vision that there is enormous enormous benefit in terms of representing creative work as you know on-chain assets and also we we kind of created a new medium right like digital files are infinitely rep- reproducible you know copy pasteable you know i think you know everyone knows the you know the story of you know digital music the rise of uh, the rise of mp3s kind of completely upending like the the business model of you know selling CDs selling vinyl basically you know social media made um, just just creativity online more about attention than the value of the work itself and i think nfts bringing back digital scarcity were like wow actually the creativity itself is valuable you know being a collector is really valuable owning creativity from an artist is really valuable and finally it's possible in a digitally native way where you can own scarce digital artifact and that's only possible uh, with blockchains and i think this is a really really exciting time to be building and to be you know participating in like the, the nfc ecosystem because we're just seeing just you know new way, new ways of expressing yourself but also new ways of building you know relationships i think it's also it's not just like a, a new business model for creativity but it's it's a new uh, social model for uh creators interacting with their audiences for, for communities forming where you know you're not just following someone but you're also you're a collector you're an owner you're a stakeholder in a project and again like the kind of the psychological implications of you know I am I have a stake in this I'm a patron it just changes the nature of, of relationships it changes how people communicate with each other you know if if two people are a collector in the same NFT project it's this new kind of way to have an experience on the internet and all of these things are are, are really really exciting and we're we're trying to you know build at the intersection of that a hundred percent. You know, I've always been a huge science fiction fan, and um, I almost feel like we're living in a William Gibson novel at this point. You know, or at least in the in the early chapters of one, where we have these just colorful characters. You know, PFPs on the internet, and possibly you know a new renaissance for, as you said, not just like financial freedom, but creative sovereignty, where we're all free to. We're all these digital free agents and we're free to exchange our own ideas mm-hmm. back and forth with one another. So I agree. It's super exciting. But, but, I know I kind of diverged from your initial question, like, what is it like to build here? And I think, I mean, one of the challenges is we have, you know, very early, um, you know, advanced technology, you know, I, you know, people liken it to, you know, the early 90s, you had like, like dial-up internet that was before broadband. And again, you had such kind of you know computational and bandwidth limitations on on the applications you could build you know we're we're, we're in a similar place with you know the wallets are a new paradigm right like instead of having a username and password that you can reset reset we're asking users of blockchains to you know understand what a private key is how to how to custody that it's like a it's just a, a new mental model it, there's quite, quite a a, a high barrier to entry, you know, the fact that basically any on-chain interaction requires paying high fees has all these implications. Like what, what are suitable use cases where it's worth paying $3 or $6? And obviously um, 
a lot of that is being improved with work like Optimism is doing with scalability and making transaction fees cheaper, but which also opens up new applications, which we'll, we'll, I know we'll talk about. But the, the challenge of building is how do you, you know, understand the limitations of the technology, but also still provide a product that offers a really, really good user experience. And I think that's actually one of the most exciting things about Mirror is you don't need to have any ETH or to pay gas to to start posting on Mirror. So all you need is a wallet. Uh, you connect to the Mirror dashboard. If, if people in the audience want to try it, if you go to uh, mirror.xyz and connect your wallet in the top right, you'll be taken to the dashboard and you can actually author a post, store it on chain. And actually that post will be uh, automatically minted as an NFT. And if you turn on funding, you can actually earn your first ETH without ever having to pay gas. So there's a, a few interesting thing, things happening there. And we, we try to make this as seamless and frictionless as possible by both, you know, abstracting some things like, like we pay the Rweave storage costs on behalf of our users because we don't want to introduce that friction to them. We have a very clever, in my opinion, implementation of how we make every post an NFT and collectible by default. Uh, we actually just use a signature so the user doesn't have to pay any gas. And when your first collector collects your post, they actually deploy the contract on your behalf. So again, you know, after, from being in the space for a long time, you know, studying how a lot of these protocol works, we tried to strike the right balance of let's try to remove all the friction of, you know, the immaturity of the technology, you know, you know, signature prompts everywhere, having gas costs everywhere. And try to abstract it for you know these these critical kind of paths of you know finding delight and using the product for them to be as low as friction as possible. So we're actually really excited that Mirror is a, is kind of packages all these technologies into one. Where by connecting your wallet and publishing something, you get to experience what it's like to well use a wallet to sign kind of data for the first time when you when when you author a post if you have an ENS name it'll automatically show up in your you know profile page you know mirror.xyz you know you know if you have mac.eth it'll be slash mac.eth you automatically kind of uh, use your ENS name and then finally when you post something you're actually creating your first NFT on optimism and you don't have to pay any gas you don't need to have optimistic eth because there's some friction to onboarding and if if you enable of funding and you, you price one of your posts, if somebody collects it, you know, you'd say you price it for 0.001 ETH, which is about a dollar at current prices, you will actually earn your first cryptocurrency. And your on-ramp isn't going to Coinbase, you know, and using a cryptocurrency exchange. It's actually your creativity. So, you know, if you have a cool idea to share, you have a, bl a blog post that you wrote about, you know, maybe it's your Hello World post. You're saying, you know, I, you know I'm excited to uh, enter Web3. You could actually earn your first ETH and on-ramp to this Web3 economy. And I think that is, that is extremely powerful because, you know, if you're a creator online, if you actually want to get paid in Web2, like you need, you need to be being a creator from a place that has, you know, a mature financial system. You probably need a, you know, a debit card, a bank account to, you know, if you want to get paid out on Kickstarter or get paid out on bank, Bandcamp and things like that, you actually need to have a, a bank account. And like the implications are, that are so enormous, like, you know, if you're a kid, for example, and, and you're making music or you're making art, you can't get paid because in the Web2 system because you, you, you aren't compatible with the Web2 heroes. And then obviously, if you're international all over the world if you have access to the internet but you don't have access to you know a mature financial system you also can get paid but with web3 all you need is a wallet 
and anyone can download a wallet and install it. And you can make money on the internet with Web3 and the barrier is just much lower. You know, I think we'll see much more savvy kids using this technology, people all over the world using this technology. And again, I think it's, it's, it's pretty exciting and profound. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of just using new technologies to learn about them. Like I'm a very hands-on guy, so I like to just get in there and try them and experiment. And I think that's the best way to to wrap your mind around, as you said, these new mental models, because it does take quite a big shift, I think, in thinking. Um, and the learning curve is quite high at first. So, I, But you guys, it sounds like you've done a lot of work there to, to lower that barrier of entry, which is really smart. I remember at one point doing something with a writing token and I'm, I'm not quite sure how I use it. It might've been to connect the ENS name to the publication. Is that what the writing token is for? Yeah, that was, well, we have something that's called the right token. And I, I could give you some background on that. When Mirror started out in December, 2020, we were actually kind of an invite only beta. And the, the thinking we had there was, well, you know, first we're, you know, building this new product, you know, it's still rough around the edges we want to kind of selectively let people test it. And I think there was a, you know, inspiration from products that had, that started out as invite only in the web two world. You know, if some of you may remember, you know, Gmail, like, like 15 years ago, you needed to get like a friend with an invite code to get you on. And it, it was kind of, the demand was so high that there was a, people were actually selling Gmail invites on like platforms like eBay. So there's kind of like secondary market emerge. And it felt like it was a very interesting way of building hype for uh, a product early on, but also kind of just, just gating the, the invitation in a more limited way. And then since then, you know, a bunch of platforms have done it, you know, I think superhuman most recently was like with a famous kind of private beta. And our thinking was, well, what is like the, the web three native version of something like, like gating membership? And we thought, you know, well, obviously, like the invitation should be should look like a token, you know, and people could, you know, there could be this scarce token you to get your hands on a token. And we basically built this mechanism where we called the token the right token. It was kind of like, if you want to write on mirror, you need the right token and you would burn a right token. And that would let you register a subdomain. And our, our subdomain system also is built on top of ENS. So if you have optimism.mirror.xyz is actually an ENS name because mirror.xyz is uh, registered as an ENS name. So basically it was kind of a, we use the right token to gate access to the private beta, but also give people these kind of verified accounts as subdomains. So since then, you know, about nine months into the product's life, we actually opened up the tool to anyone. So anyone can use mirror today you don't need you don't, you don't need a right token uh it's completely open and permissionless to, to use the toolkit but we still have this idea of verified accounts and subdomains and you need a right token to get those interesting and so what what is a verified account what does that signify it, it's it's basically you, you you get a subdomain it's kind of like the mirror equivalent of a of a blue check and uh it's a that also started as a community governed process some of you may remember we had this game called the right race we had a weekly voting competition where projects could apply to get access to use mirror and again instead of having that be kind of decided by you know the company by people building the protocol we actually made it a community governed process so Every week, anyone could apply. And then there was an open voting period for two hours on Wednesday. And if you were voted in in those two hours, you would get a right token. 
and that kind of made you verified on Mirror and gave you access to using the tools. And I, I don't remember if you guys got in through Right Race, but we, we've since basically since we've opened up the, t- the tool to everyone, we, we don't do the Right Races anymore. But it was a really fun way to kind of build hype for the platform and, and get like the, f- the first like thousand users on the platform. Got you. Okay, but I just want to underscore for people that the sounds like the Right Token has been deprecated, and so this is now open for everybody and. It sounds like you've made it really easy for people who've never, you know, they may not have any experience with Web3 previously to to just get started and publish their first piece of writing on Mirror. Yeah, absolutely. And all you need to do is connect your wallet to Mirror.xyz and you can get uh, started publishing right away. Amazing. And before we move on, I just want to say if anybody who's listening does own Mac.eth, I'm interested in buying this. So, you know, slide in my DMs. That'd be great. (laughs) Okay. Before we move on, Joanna, do you have any do you have any comments or questions you want to chime in with, or should we just keep on rolling here? This is this is great. Yeah, this has been amazing. I feel like I'm <laughs> definitely listening to you know like a history lesson on <laughs> how NFT come to be. And for me, I would love to hear a bit more about the the upcoming you know product roadmap. I think we kind of we spoke about the subscriber NFT, which is something that you know optimism is going to take part in. So. That is a yeah exciting feature that I would love to hear Dennis' thoughts on. Yeah, let's move into the sort of the the new stuff, Dennis. That's that stuff exci- is very exciting. The NFT subscriber and NF- the subscriber NFT included. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can give you a quick quick recap of some of our the most exciting things we've launched this year. And there's 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 three three main features. We launched writing NFTs this summer. That's actually our first L2 product, and I can go a bit into that. And we kind of had the insight that NFTs enable this new behavior for for media, which is which is collecting. We have this kind of theory that in the new Web3 internet, collecting is actually going to replace the like as this social mechanism, this patronage mechanism, you know, as a way of telling creator you really like some kind of content that, you know, if we can introduce this native way way of, of owning a piece of media, you know, instead of turning audience members, just kind of passive people clicking likes that have, you know, no value, you could actually become an owner of the media you're, you're a fan of. And it, it really introduces these exciting second order effects of it could be used both as a patronage mechanism to, you know, fund creativity, but also it becomes curatorial, you know, that you're, you're actually, when you interact with media, you get to own it in your inventory. And that's a way to show off, you know, what you're interested in, you know, think of it as a digital equivalent of, you know, curating your, your bookshelf or, or, or your coffee table or, or your, your record collection, but for all kinds of digital assets. And we were really excited, you know, just, you know, inspired by the NFT space, but I think also acknowledging some of the limitations of L1, for example. I think the the, the entire NFT market, it was amazing to see it, it emerge, but I, we saw a big limitation of it. It was just the pricing, you know, the the high price points. We kind of call these, you know, the blue chip NFTs, whether it's, you know, artworks that are, you know, one of ones that end up being sold for a lot of money or, you know, PFP projects that also end up being quite expensive. We thought that there was going to be a whole application of digital collectibles and NFTs that are going to be just at much lower price points. You know, instead of an NFT being worth, you know, thousands of dollars or even hundreds of dollars, it will be worth, you know, you know, in, in the single digits or, you know, around you know, $10 or $5. And you would have really exciting models of, you know, creating work and collecting it at lower price points. But there was a, a problem where 
gas was an enormous limitation. So when you collect something on Ethereum L1, especially when the chain is congested, which is what we saw a lot over, you know, 2021 and kind of the, the, the peak of the, you know, NFT mania where it would cost collectors, you know, tens of dollars or even like, you know, during peak congestion, you know, hundreds of dollars in gas fees to collect something. And if you're buying something that's only, you know, $5 or a couple of dollars, it became just infeasible for the, for the transaction fees to be that high. And on L2, obviously, gas fees are, are ordered of magnitude cheaper. So I, I believe in if you collect something on Optimism today, it's only about 10 cents. So it actually makes sense to price things much lower. And that's how we built the collection behind writing NFTs. We built it on L2. And we, we chose Optimism to do that because we thought, you know, that the technology has just, just, you know, the research your team is doing and the execution is is really, really phenomenal. And we also really like just the optimism community kind of being adjacent to the Ethereum building community. It's just- I have, I have, a, I have a quick question, Dennis. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but this is, this is kind of maybe a leading question, but I, I'm just super curious to know, you know, did you consider maybe alt L1s? And if so, why, why was, because they're, they're cheap too, right? So why not, why not launch there? Yeah, we, we just felt the, again, you know, going back to like this, this culture question, we thought, the the creators and and builders kind of the, the the cultural community was strongest on ethereum you know people that you know internalized the potential of nfts you know you know we're, we're we're an ecosystem with a bunch of other projects you know like foundation zora you know OpenSea, all these projects that started on ethereum and i think just just the most interesting creativity was on ethereum and we wanted to be you know you, you can think of it as a city with like a vibrant, you know, like, like Soho, like in the seventies or something like that. Just a, it felt like a, like a virtual space with a vibrant community and they were all on, on the EVM on Ethereum. So it just felt like a no brainer to, to build there. Yeah, absolutely. And I also feel like, obviously I'm biased um, to take this with a grain of salt, but I feel like, you know, layer two NFTs benefit from the Lindy, Lindy effect of Ethereum, right? Ethereum is, is one of the longest standing projects in the space. It's been around, it's going to continue to be around. And so again, if I were going to put my time and energy into something, I might not want to do it on something I don't know is going to be around for the long term. Yeah, totally. I think that, that's also a, a big part of it. Yeah, I think just just there's just a lot of creativity and investment in the Ethereum ecosystem, just, you know, the tooling, the maturity of tooling, like, um, the nice thing with the EVM is like all wallets are automatically compatible. You just have to switch, switch networks, you know, switch the RPC endpoint. I think that's like a, a huge part of it. And, you know, as, as time went on, just, you know, on-ramp integration, I think th- all of this just compounds, it compounds, it compounds, it compounds. And even like the developer tooling, like just building on the EVM is much easier. We actually found that adding, you know, L2 support to NFT creation on mirror was just extremely easy. You know, like in a, in a few hours, you could, add support for it. Whereas I think re- rebuilding to- towards a different chain would have been a lot, a lot harder. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And it's been um, such a pleasure, by the way, working with you guys. It's You guys have been fantastic partners and it's been so fun to, to experiment and try out some of these new features that you keep adding. Speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about this new NFT subscriber. Yeah, absolutely. Um, feature. Yeah. So just a, a quick, quick background there is we obviously not the only ones to, to observe is, but free NFTs have been an extremely popular tool 
for creators to use over the, the past year. Basically, you know, you, you do you do a free drop of some artwork, some, some badge, some community collectible to your audience, and you use you use time as kind of like the, the, the scarcity factor. So, say, hey, we're doing this uh, badge for our, our our followers. You can only mint this. It's an open edition, but you can only mint this in the next twenty four hours. And we've seen that. A lot of cool projects getting, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of collectors in a very short period of time. And then there's like, like, like tons of engagement. Like the most recent one that we really liked was the, the collaboration between Zora and Rainbow. They did Rainbow's Orbs. And I believe there was like over a hundred thousand people collected it. It was like a cool way to activate a custom profile picture on in the Rainbow app. And so, so free NFTs are, are and like most NFTs, I I found out about it after minting it closed. Unfortunately, <laughs> always late to the game. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's funny. Um, you got, well, that's the thing is kind of the hype is built around the scarcity. If you miss out, you uh, you can't get anymore, even though it's free. So it's really interesting. But so we've seen tons of projects do it. There was podcasts doing it, creators doing it, and we we actually saw limitation where a lot of the engagement, you know, people would engage on chain and collect the NFT, but you, you actually had no way to, all these people collected your thing, you had no way to interact with them. You had no way to follow up with them to re-engage them again, because again, all you had was an on-chain transaction. And what subscribers NFT do is, is build up on this concept of free NFT drops, but we add this requirement that you actually have to subscribe to the project on Veer and share your email before you can collect. So it's still a free NFT, but we require the, the, the collector to become an active subscriber. And I think it's been, it's been awesome to see this optimism collectible that's available to Mint now. You, you know, you guys getting tens of thousands of subscribers and actually building out your, you know, pu- your publication, your, your subscriber base. So when you have a new announcement to make in the future in the new year, it will actually go into, into the mail, the email box uh, of your biggest fans. So, so we see it kind of multiplying the value of people being your collectors because you don't want, you, you don't, you don't want anonymous collectors that you have no way of interacting with. Uh, you want to be able to engage with them. So that's what that's, that's how subscriber NFTs work. Yeah. And for people who are in the space right now, if you look at the pinned tweet, I've pinned the tweet thread of our year-end recap at Optimism. If you haven't checked it out already, please do. You can do so at optimism.mirror.xyz. We put together a great recap of the last year, all the incredible things that have happened at Optimism. And in that post, you can, as Genesis, or, or excuse me, as Dennis described, you can subscribe to the newsletter, Optimis- the Optimism Mirror newsletter. And then once you submit your email and connect your wallet, you can mint this Genesis subscriber NFT. It's called Ethers Phoenix. It was created by an in-house artist we have here at, Op- at OP Labs. Her name's Pifafu. Shout out Pifafu. She made some incredible artwork for this NFT. And minting is available for this until the end of the year. So get in there and, and subscribe while you can and collect this NFT. I think you're really going to like it. I really I really love the art and I love the, the- the creative direction of the optimism brand, you know, I think the, the Phoenix is so cool. And I, you know, I think you know, another thing that stands out of optimism is just like the, the good vibes, the, the, the really strong marketing you guys do. I think that's like the, the other insight we have, like the best web three brands will have really amazing kind of cultural collateral that's complementary to what they're building. And, you know, before, you know, a web two brand, you know, they may be, you know, tweeting images and stuff like that as, as they continue kind of telling their story and, and building in public. But I think what makes web three really fun is now you can collect something. And I think we've had this kind of collector culture 
you know, maybe in the early video game era, you would have, you know, you would buy a console, it would have this beautiful packaging, beautiful art, you know, maybe like there's a picture of Mario, you would buy the Mario game, you had, you had the box and the case for the game, you had the cartridge, you had all these booklets. So there was this, again, like, you know, this like memorabilia, collector culture, merchandise, swag, you know, stickers, postcards, all this physical stuff. And I think we've lost, we've just lost this physicality, this like, you know, tangible relationships with, with the, the, the brands we loved because, you know, everything kind of became this like social feed where all you can do is like, and we're really excited about, again, like, like brands and artists and creators having more of these tangible surfaces to create experiences for their communities. And I think free NFTs where you can just do cool drops and give cool collectives to your audience are going to, it's just going to be a way more fun way for your audience to engage with what you're doing. And I think the brands that do it really well, they will just, they will build stronger communities, you know, and so we're really excited to bring this tool to the public in the new year. hundred percent. Yeah. Leveraging that scarcity and that provenance, as you mentioned, um, to empower creators. Yeah. Joanna, it looks like you have your hand raised. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to double down on that. This kind of new concept of, free nft and using that as a a way to to empower like art and digital collectibles like in my mind you know i think when we most people now talk about nft we talk about scarce digital asset right so i think in the not too distant future we're we're going to talk about nft as just non-scarce digital asset and what that means is you know you can use NFT as your ticket to go to Disneyland, as your ticket to go to a concert. You know, there's no real like speculative value in NFT, but really as a way to unlock um, many of these, you know, online, yeah, basically digital experiences. I think that's that's really the future that we're building here. This innovative use case of you know writing NFT, turning content collection into an NFT and in the future, you know, we're we're talking about many different innovative use cases here at Optimism. So that this is really kind of gets me up in the morning and what excites me about the future of NFT. Totally. And just excited about, you know, L2s making it lower friction and, and cheaper. And I think this really lets like the mirror UX where NFTs are, are, are free by default, where the, the friction to collecting is much lower, I think is, is enabled by like the awesome work optimism doing it. And I think it's, it's just like you're saying, I think it's ultimately like Web3 will succeed beyond it being about commerce, but it'll be about just the experiences, you know, like Web3 will only be successful at scale if it's more fun to interact with art, interact with media online. If the experience of being part of a community is, you know, more meaningful where you have richer relationships with people because you're all collectors. So, and I think the best the best parts of Web Web three over you know the past few years, it has been about that. You know, people have found meaning and and you know new senses of, of purpose. You know, by being part of these token gated discords. You know, they they became community members by participating in these NFT projects. They formed you know meaningful relationships between you know collectors and artists have formed meaningful relationships. So I think it's ultimately you know the, the technology becomes a new way of you know interacting, collaborating, building relationships. And again, we think storytelling is so important. I'm, for that, which is why we're focusing on publishing, but we're also really exciting to make Mirror a lot more social, a lot more kind of communal and multiplayer in the new year. 
Yeah, I wanted to say earlier, Dennis, when you were talking about um, about ideas and about about writing, that yeah, I, I agree with you that ideas are very power, powerful. And if we think about what writing is, I've heard it described as a way to clarify thought and clarify ideas. So I just wanted to add that that there's some some real interesting overlap there. Yep. Yeah. Totally. I think it's still you, you know. As the space evolves, you know, idea, ideas drive it forward and, you know, th- the, the thinkers drive it forward. And I think that's why just like, you know, what, what, what were people talking about the Internet in the early days of the Internet? You know, people were talking about the Internet itself, right? It was like on the bulletin boards, on the, on the BBSs of, you know, the, the early 90s, the discussion was about the Internet. And I think it's also another way to think about Mirror is like, you know, where Web3 comes together to talk about Web3. And I think every... Every cultural movement, technological movement needs a space to, you know, talk about itself, to, to share, you know, positive, optimistic visions for the future. And I think we're, we're, it's a privilege to, to be able to contribute to that. And again, like seeing, you know, the viral essays, you know, every day on Twitter, seeing them, uh, some of them and more of them existing on mirror. And then when you read that essay, not only you enjoy reading it but you can also collect it again have this new experience of that object living in your wallet the collect the creator the writer knowing that people just didn't just like what i wrote they are also you know owners of it they're collectors of it so again this this new technology is enabling just these completely new social bonds communal experiences forms of patronage i think it's it's super cool Absolutely. And, you know, as a as a collector and a writer and a participant in this ecosystem myself, I'm going to come clean. I haven't yet started up my mirror, but I've been dragging my feet, but it is high time. And I think this space is the is the signal for me to finally uh, move my blog over to mirror and yeah, t- take part in this exciting new future we're all building together. Awesome. And we're extremely excited to help you on board as smoothly as possible. That actually, that's a great transition. What would you say to people who want to who want to get started and get involved? Yeah, I mean, if if you have a wallet, just go to Merit XYZ and hit Connect Wallet in the corner and author your first entry. You know, I think the the dashboard takes you right there, and just make your Hello World post. And I think maybe people can even post a reply to the the tweet with this a link to this the Twitter Spaces. And yeah, I would love to subscribe and collect anyone's post who 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 wants to try Merit. Amazing. Well, I think that was such a such a fascinating conversation. I feel like we're probably winding down. I, I actually feel like we could just kind of continue on for at least another hour or so. But I think what we'll have to do is just have you back on another time, Dennis. How does that sound? Awesome. That sounds great. I think we, yeah, we, we covered a lot. We also have a development blog where you can see the the, the kind of evolution of product and project. It's, it's dev.mirror.xyz. I think that's a great resource. You can follow Mirror at via Mirror on Twitter. We also share, you know, great content there and all our updates there. And yeah, I think we got we got into some juicy stuff here and would love to do this again. Yeah, let's reconnect in the new year and, and have you back on. But thank you so much for joining us. This was very fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thanks, guys. See you later, everybody. Have a good one.